If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to Dragon Quest FM, where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. My name's Austin. I'm BJ. And, oh, you're just BJ today? I'm just BJ today. How normal. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we're talking about the music in Dragon Quest and the composer who's done the music for Dragon Quest, Koichi Sugiyama. It's a special uh, Patreon patron request episode. Our newest patron, Abigail. Uh, belongs to the tier that lets you choose your own episode topic and she chose music which is great because we haven't really done a full episode on music before so it's perfect time to do an episode all on music right it's true and i am going to be pretty useless on this one so you're probably going to be doing more of the talking because i don't understand or pay attention to music very often (laughs) okay fair enough well we'll we'll get into that like actually get into that in a few minutes on why no just why i'm well, like, I don't, like, hear a lot of difference in, in different games. And uh, so, like, when Dragon Quest Eleven came out, like, people were complaining about the orchestral soundtrack not being there. And I was like, oh, but this sound is, this, this music is really pretty. So I'm playing it on Steam, and I'm going and, and just play, having a good time. And I see so many people talking about how garbage it is. And I'm like, this is good. And then I get it on the Switch, and I don't really hear that much of a difference. Like, I hear a difference but it's not like the other one is garbage because the orchestral one is so much better. It's like, I don't know. I don't think that I just hear and understand quality music like other people do. Yeah, I I think it's like a weird American thing or maybe a Western thing because, right. so fun fact, this isn't in the show notes, but uh, you bringing that up kind of made me think of it. It's so with Dragon Quest Eight, when Dragon Quest Eight released over here, one of the big concerns was that Americans slash western audiences uh wouldn't respond well to the music because it felt so outdated oh okay and so uh they brought in the uh orchestral music yeah that means for the first time the like better version wasn't the japanese version because typically the japanese version is like you know the definitive version of the game Right. Usually something gets changed for the Western release and it's usually a downgrade. And and with DQ8, you know, they added in the voice acting and they had uh, they had orchestral music. And it was because they didn't think a Western audience would appreciate the music that was in there and would feel that it was outdated. So the whole like Sugiyama Dragon Quest music thing isn't really new. It's been going on for at least, what, 16 years? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. And it's weird you just saying that it's not so much music, but it's also the voice acting. Like you said, uh, Eleven was that way. Eleven in Japan didn't have voice acting at first. It was just the American one, right? It wasn't until Eleven S that Dragon Quest Eleven had voice acting in Japanese. I think that's right. Yeah, I seem to remember that. 
I guess it's because Americans are illiterate, but I mean, <laughs> it's, I, I think it's interesting that the voice acting is something that gets added in later for Japanese games, uh, whereas Americans kind of expect it, I guess. Yeah. So all the music in the mainline games in Dragon Quest, they've been done by Kuichi Sugiyama, who is kind of a turd. And we're going to talk about some of that turdiness in a little while. He because, is kind of a turd. Because you can't. You, we can't realistically talk about the music and talk about Sugiyama and totally just sugarcoat over all of the not-so-great stuff that he's a part of. Right. So just some really quick info on Sugiyama is uh, that we should have totally mentioned him in the Old Man episode because he's actually... he's the, I mean, he's the oldest man of them all. He's the official... Officially now, he is the <laughs> oldest video game composer ever. Like, how old is he? Like, I didn't know this. He's... Almost 90 years old. Wow. Like, I knew that he was obviously, you know, from doing it in the beginning, that he wasn't a, uh, a, you know, a young spring chicken. But 90 years old and still doing it is impressive. Yeah, he's almost, he's quite a bit older than Yuji Horii and Akira Toriyama are both around 65 years old. They get their, they get their discount at Denny's now. (laughs) (laughs) They've, uh, they've gone over the 65 mark, but they're just both right there. I think Yuji Hori might be a little bit older than Toriyama. Uh, Right. They're right in the like 60, 65 to like 68 year old range, somewhere in there. And then you have Sugiyama who is like 89. I'm pretty sure. And I believe he was born in 1931, which would make him 89 right now. Right. Anyway, super old. I mean, almost 90, and he's still going at it, which is impressive. Like, say what you want to about the dude, but I mean, if he's still working fairly hard at almost 90, I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? If if I make it to, to 90 or at least 90-ish, I can pretty much guarantee I'm not going to be working anymore. <laughs> Unless, like, the economy has completely tanked or I find that whatever it is that I'm doing later on in life is the most fulfilling thing that I can possibly imagine. At 90, I'm going to be resting some. I, I don't think, like working is going to be even remotely on my things to do so so you know in that respect a lot of respect to him in that regard yeah and i think it just i think it's just how much he loves music in general i think right why he does it you know it for you maybe that would be like writing like right I mean, I mean i love writing and i i could still see myself writing when i'm 90 and so i think for koichi sugiyama it's the same thing it's like he loves music so much so he keeps doing it that's true he has worked on a Godzilla film and at least one Gatchaman movie. Hmm. Which like that's really cool. Which I, I wanted to mention that in particular because it kind of ties him indirectly to another famous artist. He's already he's already, you know, tied to Akira Toriyama through Dragon Quest, but Yoshitaka Amano. Uh, actually he started in the animation department working on Gatchaman anime in the nineteen seventies. I did not know that. Yeah, so indirectly, he's tied to Amano through Gachamon, I guess. Uh, So according to legend, here's another fun fact for you. (laughs) Uh, According to legend, and I say legend because I'm like, do I really believe this? Uh, But Koichi Sugiyama, he wrote the theme for DQ on his first try and in about five minutes or less than five minutes, depending on who tells the story. It's either in five minutes or less than five minutes. But I do think it was kind of funny that in interviews, uh, Sugiyama uh, says that it actually took him 54 years in one minute and five minutes because he was 54 years old when he wrote it. So in other words, <laughs> so in other words, it took him 54 years of experience and then five minutes to write it. 
to be able to write write that in five minutes, it was uh, he had to practice that long and get and get good at it. That uh, I like that. I like being able to say that. Like that, uh, it doesn't discount talent at all, but uh, it also doesn't discount the work that somebody has to put in. That's something that you know. I know that you and I have had to deal with a bunch in terms of uh, writing because people think it's just something anyone can do, and it's like if you can churn out an article in you know twenty. In an hour, if you can turn out a, a full article that's ready to be published in an hour, people think, oh, anybody can do that. But we've been working at that for a very long time to get to the point where we can, just like Sugiyama does with this, where he's like, yeah, I wrote it in five minutes. The 54 years before that came much harder, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I also uh, thought it was interesting uh, that Sugiyama would get frustrated with the other uh, famous Koichi uh, who is involved in Dragon Quest, uh, Koichi Nakamura. He is the programmer for the early Dragon Quest games. He also directed the first four Dragon Quest games, first five Dragon Quest games. Nakamura directed a lot of the early ones. Uh, he went on to, you know, separate from the company. He founded Chunsoft. Uh, it's now yep. Spike Chunsoft. He, you know, created the Mystery Dungeon games with the very first uh, Tornico Mystery Dungeon. Sugiyama, though, would get frustrated with Nakamura. Uh, about music in particular, uh, because uh, back in those early like Famicom entries, because Sugiyama as his composer, you know, he had these really high aspirations for the music that just couldn't technically be done in a Famicom game, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you just couldn't realistically do it, and so so Sugiyama would want to go back and, and change things and, and you know do all this different music, and, and Nakamura would just be constantly having to tell him. We don't have the time or the technology for this. You're going to have to just deal with it. And so uh, so I kind of like that image in my head of these two like famous video game uh, people just kind of going head to head, butting heads over something that seems simplistic, you know, music. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because like obviously not being a, a music guy, like I don't understand the the technical difference in composing for what would be normal video game music versus like what would be possible on the NES and Famicom with the chip tunes and things like that. So I always like that kind of music when I hear it. it it's obviously, you know, lower tech, but I don't like I don't understand the I guess I don't understand how much more difficult it is to compose for for that as opposed to something uh, where you have more options available. I don't know, because I like the music that came out of uh, the NES. It's, it, they're all super catchy. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's another thing worth mentioning uh, that is also surprisingly not in our show notes, but is that Sugiyama kind of altered video games as we know it in terms of music because back mm -hmm. then it was unheard of to do video game music that was like orchestral with these classical uh, inspirations. Right. And so yeah. people didn't do classical style music for video games. Like that just wasn't done. You know, you did, you did upbeat music or kind of like, I don't know. I think of it as like eighties, like eight bit rock, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's stuff like me and Jennifer will walk around the house. Like, I don't know why, but the level one, two of Mario, the dun -dun 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 -dun, that one dude that's always, the one i was thinking about too. Like, like that's what we do and and like we'll go around the house singing it but like to our pets we're like kitty 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 dog 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 stuff like that and uh it's like 
cat, cat. And, and it's, but that's what we do like all the time. I can't see myself really doing that with like the Baroque uh, intro, like fanfare for Dragon Quest. Yeah. Like they're so different. You're right. And like he took it, uh, like he did such a good job of it on the NES that, uh, Nobuo Ematsu, I'm always I'm gonna butcher his name, uh, with Final Fantasy was able to go with it as well when uh, Square was trying to uh one up Dragon Quest. Also wanted to talk about kind of some of our favorite DQ music over what eleven mainline games and lots and lots of spinoffs. I mentioned this briefly in my Dragon Quest book uh, on sale now on Amazon.com. But <laughs> <laughs> called the Dragon Quest book. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, start doing that all the time in normal conversations. <laughs> but people seem to love a-, a Lonely Youth from DQ2. And to me, that seems to be kind of the unofficial favorite. I see people on social media all the time talk- like mentioning that as their favorite song. If you just scroll through comments on YouTube uh, when you're looking at music, that music, so many people speak highly of it. I think it's a good one. It's not my favorite. I also always have to second guess myself because of the Black Key song, uh, Lonely Boy. <laughs> no, don't know it. I, what? You know me. Yeah. Na, 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 na. She's got a love that keeps me waiting. Nope. Dude, it's got been nothing. in like commercials and movies and everything. You really do suck at music. But anyway, <laughs> it, it was it was probably their biggest hit. I mean, they've been around for like 20 years, but that was like a pop hit for them from like 2011, I guess, 2010. I don't know. It's been it's been a minute. But yeah, anyway, I always have to think back because when I see a lonely, when I see people talk about lonely youth from DQ2, I just hear the Black Keys song, uh, Lonely Boy. So there you go. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite, so my favorite, I would have to say from any Dragon Quest soundtrack, it's probably from uh, 1.0 of DQ10, uh, because hmm. I think 10 has the most eclectic mix of music. I think part of that is because of all the different races. Uh, they right, try to bring yeah. in, you know, different different themes and, and everything to the different races. So all the music kind of feels different. So I think uh, the stuff in 10 is probably my favorite, the music there. Uh, especially the the elves, everything in the elf towns mm. and the capital city there uh, is probably my favorite. Although the wetty stuff uh, ain't bad neither. <laughs> and I honestly, this is where you're gonna. This is where music gate's gonna start coming in for me. I turn the music off in MMOs when I play them. Like I don't listen to music when I'm playing an MMO of generally in Final Fantasy 14, DQX, World of Warcraft, anything like that. Like I just turn it off because I find it distracting. And like I honestly don't know a single track from a single game. They all kind of sound the same to me. But you can tell Dragon Quest music apart from like Final Fantasy music. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, between the Dragon Quest games, like, I cannot tell the difference between the soundtracks of them. Yeah, well, that's because it doesn't change much. <laughs> but it's like people have favorite tracks, and you're like a lonely youth from DQ2. Like, if you played that, and, like, you called something or other from DQ8, I would have no idea. Like, I could not tell you which game anything came from. Like, even with the variations, like, I don't, like, I've never been able to tell much of a difference unless they're literally side by side for somebody. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's different. And then I hear it and I'm like, nope, no difference. Even though you can't tell a difference, do you have a favorite, like, piece of Dragon Quest music? I like the intro. Like, I really do like that, that Baroque fanfare at the very, very, very beginning when, uh, when it comes in. 
Like that always makes me happy. Like with the it's, horn, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the <laughs> horn. <laughs> yep. At the as soon as you see the title screen, like that is my favorite because it's so different from other RPGs and Final Fantasies where it's always so low key. It's like and Dragon Quest is like. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah let's have an adventure yeah and like that's what it feels like that's why i like it so much is because every single time it gets you ready to go on an adventure instead of like having some thoughtful uh meditative like let's go and we're gonna experience something we're gonna experience something meaningful it's like no we're gonna have an adventure and we're gonna have fun yeah, yeah. And i like that i like that too so people do criticize the music a lot in DQ of being too similar. And, and I think it's a fair criticism. Like I'm not trying to dismiss people from saying uh, that it's too <laughs> similar, uh, but I also, I don't think Sugoyama really cares. No, I don't think so. No. Also, I'm like, I don't think the dude should care. I mean, he's almost 90. He's got, he's got the Dragon Quest ballet that that's an ode pun intended to his <laughs> music. He's got an entire video game dedicated to his songs. Uh, we, mm-hmm. I want to briefly just talk about the Atrhythm Dragon Quest for a minute because somebody can correct me on this if they want to. But as far as I know, he is the only composer in the world who has a video game just for his songs. Because I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, even the, the Atrhythm Final Fantasy games, the music is from various composers. Yeah, I think so. It's not just one person from who's done all of those. So I'm pretty sure that Sugiyama is the only one who has like he's the only one who's done music for DQ, right? Or am I am I wrong in that with the spin-offs? Does he, he compose the spin-offs or is that other people? There's some other people who have who get music credits on some of the spin-offs. Okay. But he's the only one that's included in the theater of them game, right? Yeah, as far as I as far as I know, uh, the theatrhythm is just for the mainline games yeah. uh, and and just features Sugiyama's music. Even the Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory that comes out later this year, uh, that's a rhythm game with Kingdom Hearts music, is still going to have additional music credits because of all the Disney music that's in that, that's going to be right. in that game. So yeah, I mean, to my knowledge, like Koichi Sugiyama is the only guy who has like a video game just dedicated to his music. Um, the game does have a free demo download. At least you could download a demo of it on 3DS. I mean, it's in Japanese, right. but it's a rhythm game. You have to have a, a Japanese 3DS, though, to be able to get it. You can't get that one on an American 3DS with a Japanese account. Right. I should mention that, because I play I play on my little Liquid Slime right. 2DS all the time. Yeah, but, but it is there for people to play. And if you right. like Guitar Hero... And you ever played Guitar Hero and were like, hey, I wish this was with Dragon Quest and I was hitting monsters instead of just <laughs> like guitar frets, then uh, it's not too hard to figure out. I mean, it's in another language, but it's a rhythm game, so it's not super complicated. You know, there are RPG mechanics in there, but I thought it was enjoyable. I, I like it enough that I would like to buy the full game sometime and, and play yeah. through it. I've never played any of the theater rhythm games. Like that's one that I'm like from Final Fantasy or anything else that I feel like uh, Melody of Memories is going to be my first game like that that I play. And I'm not even I'm not even looking forward to it anymore. For some reason, the newest trailer didn't do a lot for me. And so I'm just like, "Mm." but again, it's because I'm not a huge rhythm person. I'm not a huge uh, music person. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. 
we still got to talk about Sugiyama's more controversial uh, political leanings. Uh, but before we do that, it's time for shameless self-promotion. We're so shameless, shameless, money, money, shameless. So we do have a Patreon page. You can find that at patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. This whole episode is actually a topic that one of our patrons uh, wanted to listen to. So you could tell us what you want to listen to, and we do an episode for you too. I did want to mention, though, really quickly, that I'm mailing new stickers out. And one of our patrons, Chris, actually messaged us yesterday that he never got his. And the, the mail has been really wonky or extra wonky, I guess I should say where I live ever since all of the like pandemic stuff started happening. So to any of our patrons listening, if you don't get your stuff, please let us know. Like if you don't have your stuff, just message us and tell us and, and we'll send it to you again, because this isn't the first time that someone hasn't gotten something since all of this stuff started happening back in like March. So let us know if you don't get your stuff, because we want you to have stuff. We want to send it to you. So if you don't get it, tell us. True. Also for Community Spotlight, RPG Gamer. They have another Dragon Quest XI-S interview up. It's not Lauren Coe this time. She did Veronica. We mentioned that in a previous episode. This time, though, it's Shy Matheson, who voices the wonderful Silvando. We've talked about him on this show before and how much we love his voice acting, right? And this interview, like it, uh, like Elman did an excellent job with this one. It was so much fun to read this. Like, I just, I want to be friends with Shy Matheson now after, like, listen like reading him uh what he was saying here like it's like you seem like such a nice guy doesn't he i know i was thinking the same thing and once again uh dqfm submitted some questions for shy so read it and try to guess which ones came from us it's a game (laughs) there's no prize but it's a game there's no prize it's a prizeless game but it's a game nonetheless all right getting back into uh koichi sugiyama uh, we're going to call this uh, section, Sugiyama is a nationalist pig, oink, oink. <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, addressing the elephant in the room or the pig in the room, Sugiyama, he's got some political leanings that can be a little extreme. A little extreme? Some of them are a little extreme. Some of them are just flat out extreme. We're going to talk yeah. about most of them. So he's a major nationalist for people who don't know this already, uh, and he belongs or has belonged on the board of several lobbyist groups uh, that kind of promote nationalistic policies, which is weird if you don't know this already, because you look at the guy and I mean, just, just Google the guy and look at, look at him, you know, he's always smiling. He looks like this cheerful old grandpa, you know, but he's got a, a underneath that facade of cheerful old grandpa is like rot. It's like in a horror movie where they pull off the happy face and it's just a monster underneath. That's the way I feel like Sugiyama is at this point. I mean, the thing is, is that like, I don't know, maybe it's just me because I grew up in the South. But, you know, I had a cheerful old grandpa, but he was also kind of a racist. (laughs) And and Sugiyama is that cheerful old racist grandpa that I feel Mm. like probably a lot of Southerners have. Southerners of a certain age have. And so... He's got some far right political leanings and he doesn't seem too bothered with America so much uh, because it's really uh, Japan and Japanese political policies that really concern him and like fearing that Japan is leaning too heavily into Western ideals. The biggest things for me is, you know, he works with these lobbying 
uh, organizations. He's board. Uh, he's a board member of some of these lobbying organizations that try to cover up like past war crimes from World War II, like sex trafficking. Um, and I mean, he's the Japanese equivalent of a Holocaust denier. And it's really stuff like the sex trafficking that that work that his work covers up that is uh, really gets to me. I mean, I can't speak for Japanese politics at all. And uh, but whenever, you know, it came up that some of the stuff that he was working against was covering up sex trafficking crimes, it was like maybe this guy, I should look into more of this. And yeah, it's once you told me about how he was, uh, once you told me how uh, extreme some of his views were and I looked it up, it was like, yeah, this guy is uh, pretty terrible. I mean, those are some of the, some of the worst ones, but it's still, it's still weird too, to me, because Sugiyama does not try to cover this up. No. I mean, I mean, Square Enix, I feel like to a certain extent, Enix and Square Enix does. Like they try to, they try to, you know, put a cap on that kind of stuff because I, I would assume it would be a PR nightmare for them. But Sugiyama, you know, when he's off the leash, he just, you know, I mean, he goes on, on major publications and talks about this uh, all the time. One of his organizations even like bought out an entire like front page ad in the Washington Post like a decade ago. Uh, because they were lobbying to basically cover up these like war crimes uh, that the Japanese military committed in World War II against like sex slaves. Mm. I mean, yeah. I mean, he bought a front page ad in the Washington Post to try to like, you know, appeal to Americans, I guess, to think that it was <laughs> I, I don't know. But anyway, he did this. And so. It's like, it's just, the whole thing is, is weird. I also wanted to mention, I think this one is kind of funny. It's not quite as malicious, uh, but he has a super weird thing where he thinks smoking cigarettes isn't bad for you and is sissy American propaganda. Have Which I told is, you, have I told you about that? Yes, you have. It's weird. Like he thinks Americans are weak for banning smoking. Yeah. So, and he, and he really hates it that Japan has leaned into that kind of ideal as well that smoking is bad for you and he really actively lobbies against smoking bans i mean he thinks americans are weak in the first place for banning it and it's just it's a weird hill to die on you know it is like that's one like it's uh, i can i can see even given his age being a nationalist i can see like like feeling that that the 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 integrity of his country has been uh overwritten in a lot of ways i can understand that given uh given his age and everything you know that america did to japan at that point but the smoking thing that's just like that's just straight up crazy yeah well it's like if you want to smoke that's fine but don't say it's not bad for you. Like, that's the part. Maybe that's because of his age, too. If I was 90 and smoked, like, multiple packs a day my entire life and didn't die or get sick from it, I might be like, yeah, it's American propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Try it. <laughs> but that, that's an important thing you brought up, though, is that, you know, not to necessarily try to like forgive him uh, of some of these things but but you do it is important i think to in trying to understand sugiyama is that you know he was a kid during world war ii okay this dude was born i looked it up he was born in 1931 so he would have been very young at the time when world war ii was going on and 
that's probably why he harbors these like ill feelings against Japan getting Americanized. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I might be a nationalist of a foreign country bombed my homeland when I was like a kid and then kept us on a short lease for decades. You know what I'm saying? And then kept immigrants in America on the West Coast in internment camps during that same period for decades afterward. I mean, America did really, really terrible things to Japanese people and Asian people in general during that era. And like, I can, I'm obviously not forgiving anyone who tries to cover up war crimes and sex trafficking, but at least I can understand looking at us as a culture and a society as looking at us as being uh, not exactly uh, the shining star that uh, that some people do. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing, you know, is that he was he was a kid and also a young teenager over the course of, of you know, World War Two. When you're looking at World War Two at all the terrible things Japan did to America and the terrible things America did back to Japan, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of deep rooted uh bad feelings up there and and so i think i think you kind of have to look at that when trying to figure out why sugiyama is the way he is and i think that's probably the best explanation for it yeah if sugiyama was born during the same period as like yuji hori and akira toriyama you know those dudes are in they're like mid-60s right now and so his political leanings would probably be totally different. I'm not going to say they would be totally different, but they probably would be. They would have been influenced secondarily rather than primarily. Like it would have been something that his family had experienced rather than something he had experienced and been traumatized by. Yeah, but I mean, he would have come up during the same, if he was their age, he would have come up during the same age where Yuji Hori and Akira Toriyama, you know, was basically the equivalent of like the the hippie movement in the United States. You know, they were like, Riding motorcycles, wearing shades, <laughs> smoking, smoking. cigarettes, yeah. just looking super cool. You know, <laughs> like he would have grown up in that time period instead of like war torn Japan. Right. And that, that does make a difference. So speaking of making a difference, like how's this for a segue? Does that affect the way that you see his music? Knowing that he is, he takes a, a very vocal stand on things that uh, are are less than uh up and up savory (laughs) savory that he that he takes a stand on things that are less than savory does that change how you feel about listening to his music and supporting it okay just for me personally here it doesn't change the way i feel about the music it greatly alters the way i feel about sugiyama It doesn't necessarily alter the way I feel about his music, but it is one of those things that, you know, you kind of have to come to terms with. It's kind of like watching Woody Allen movies. You know what Mm. I mean? Uh, It's like Midnight in Paris, right? I love that movie. It's one of your favorite movies, too. Is it still one of your favorite movies? It is. I love Midnight in Paris. And for anyone out there who has not listened or who has not watched it, go watch Midnight in Paris. It is a fantastic movie, and I can thank Austin for getting me uh, to know about it. And and so for for me, you know, like my wife and I rewatched Midnight in Paris fairly recently, just a few months ago. Again, right. so for me, it's like 
I can enjoy Midnight in Paris. I also really enjoy Annie Hall. Like I can, I can enjoy these Woody Allen movies. Still can't enjoy Ants. That's a topic for a different day. But let me just say, Ants is not enjoyable. Nope. Uh, but other Woody Allen movies, I can still enjoy those movies, even though I do not like or approve of Woody Allen. And it's the same thing, you know, with Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson's music, right? Right. I mean. Billy Jean starts playing on the radio and, you know, my head is bopping along to it. Oh, it's true. And so I think, I think it's the same thing with Sugiyama. It's like, you always have to, and maybe it, maybe it's compartmentalizing on my part is that, you know, you put the, the creators in one box and their creations in another. And that's the way that I've had to become. Like, I actually think being an English major and English teacher has helped us in that in some way, because we're able to look at the work itself that's distant and different from the artist and the author. And it took me a long time to get there because like Orson Scott Card, I despise as a human being, he is a garbage human being and wow. <laughs> like, Oh, he, he, he's awful. He is. He, I don't know anything about him other than like his written like Ender's game and stuff like that. Oh, and Ender's game is brilliant. Like all of his work outside of just a couple of series are absolutely brilliant. Like he's a fantastic sci-fi writer, but he is a garbage human being. And I do not in any way want to support him. So it's very hard for me to find ways to uh, uh, partake of like the fiction that I that I want, like Ender's Game or the movie or anything like that. So um, it is something I've had to to actually struggle with because like, do I need to buy a new copy of Ender's Game or should I get a used copy of it? Should I find it somewhere that's already been paid for and he doesn't get any residuals off of it? Because I don't want to make his life any better because he makes other people's life lives worse. But at the same time, it doesn't discount that the, that the work is influential and has merit on its own, completely separate from them. You can't separate what's put into the work. Like if Sugiyama put lyrics to this and it was, uh, I hate America, let's burn it down was the dragon quest, uh, uh, fanfare. That's different than just having, you know, the trumpet. Uh, but uh, good trumpet impression, bro. <laughs> um, I can go get Jennifer's trumpet right now and make some really god awful noises for you if you want. Um, but I, I have to compartmentalize a lot for that. Where I do not like them as artists, but I can see and appreciate the work. Yeah, and for people, for people who refuse to buy dragon quest games now because of koichi sugayama like i mean i understand it i'm not saying i'm not saying people are like dumb for doing that i mean i mean if boycotts didn't work people wouldn't boycott things you know (laughs) right (laughs) but but at the same time just for me personally and i'm not even telling people this is necessarily the best route to go i'm just saying what i have found works for me is to just kind of compartmentalize that you know you have Sugiyama in the creator corner that I don't agree with but the Dragon Quest theme I really like it I appreciate its historical influence on you know the video game industry and just JRPGs and just everything in general like you said it it has this sense of adventure uh, from the opening menu and there's all there's a lot about it I do like even if I don't necessarily like the man behind it all 
Yep. And like you said, I can't blame anybody for doing any kind of avoidance on someone, an artist or like Ender's Game or Orson Scott Card or any other artist they disagree with. That's great. I mean, it's just I really think that part of it was being an English major and being able to completely separate work from author and look at just that text. I think that uh, I think that the uh, training has stopped me from uh, completely disregarding things that I don't want to support people through. Yeah. So we don't want to end today's episode completely on all of this negativity and darker stuff. Let's end here with, with a, with a small debate, which is should someone besides Sugiyama do DQ music and not talking about his political leanings, but just talking about the criticisms to the music itself. Like it's all too samey, right? Right. So, Looking at it from that perspective, you know, because he does get criticized for his music being all samey. Just to me personally, I think the music is comforting. And to me, it's such an such an intricate, iconic part of the series that it's really hard for me to imagine a Dragon Quest game without that music. Right. Yeah. And, and that's at least that same style of music, the inspired by that music kind of whether it's his or not. I mean, I think it's a very valid criticism to say that the music is samey, especially nowadays. To me, I would be okay with kind of like a uh, like a passing of the torch. Like I kind of thought about the, you know, the whole like Michael Giacchino. Is that how you say Giacchino. it? Giacchino. Giacchino. Uh, yeah, I heard in interviews how it was pronounced. It's Michael Giacchino. Yeah. See, I have two on the Lost DVDs that I had when I was younger. A yeah. lot of times they called him Giacchino. And so... Huh. I said Giacano, and then later on I saw in an interview where they said Giacino or something like that, and you had told me that it wasn't Giacano like years ago, and so now I'm like, well, how the heck do you say his last name? So anyway, that guy, kind of what he he has done with a lot of John Williams music. Right. Michael, how'd you say it? Giacino? Giacino, yeah. Michael Giacino, you know, has been, has been a major part of like some, you know, other Star Wars music uh, since, you know, especially with Disney and everything. Uh, because uh, he does a lot of music for Disney properties. And so, and you know, John Williams is basically done with Star Wars now. He said nine, episode nine was going to be his last, right. last Star Wars movie. And so for me, it's kind of this passing of the torch, you know, where they, he uses, he uses Williams like score, but he kind of, he kind of alters it and also builds upon it. And right. I would be okay with that kind of thing where, where the DNA of Dragon Quest music is still the same, but it's altered and it's built upon by someone else. And I'm fine with that. Like that's what's going on with the spinoffs. That's what's happened with the final fantasy games. I think that that is, that's an inevitable, an inevitable thing that's going to happen when you're dealing with someone at his age anyway. And with Yuji Hori saying that 12 is kind of this new box of DQ games that might be happening when 12 comes out. 11 was the new box. Was 11 starting the new box? Okay, for some reason I was thinking 11 was the end of the old. Yeah, and for those people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, I'm not going to explain it here. You're going to have to go back and find uh, one of the other episodes that we talked about this. We mentioned it like a couple of episodes, so uh, happy hunting. (laughs) It's a game! (laughs) With no prize. Uh, So, yeah, so for me, I'm cool with it. I think it's bound to happen uh, anyway, because the dude is almost 90, and as Dragon Quest fans are going to have to come to terms with eventually anyway, for, for all of them, just statistically because of his age, Sugiyama will probably be the first one 
uh, to leave the franchise. Right. No matter the means, he leaves it. (laughs) Yuji Horii and Akira Toriyama are in their 60s now. And so I think it's one of those things that everyone is going to have to come to terms with is where does the series go? Not just after one of those big three leaves, but after two of them leaves, all of them leave. Where does the series go from there? And there's not really like a, a clear answer or a good answer, I think. I think it's just hopefully going to all work out. <laughs> yeah, like I think that's I think that's about it. Like hopefully it'll work out. And regardless, the, the series is in good hands. And I don't think we're going to have any problem with the music because they've actually been putting more attention to it over the last few years. Yeah. So that about does it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at DragonQuestFM, Facebook.com slash DragonQuestFM, and Patreon.com slash DragonQuestFM. If you want to talk to me directly, you can totally do that. I'm on Twitter at DragonQuestin. I have another podcast called JRPGs and Me that you should totally check out. It's a new episode this week about the very first Trails of Cold Steel game. And I also have a regular Dragon Quest blog. That is at DragonQuestAustin.com. And I am on Twitter as at Professor Beej. I have another podcast, the geek to geek podcast that you can find at geek to geekcastcom And we are also part of a media network that you can find all of our awesome content and as well as our Slack and Discord at geek to geekmedia.com. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.